gentlemen. I don't, I don't mean to break up your, I know there's several world problems being solved at each of your tables. Um, we'll, you, we'll get back to that later, but I wanted to do a few announcements and uh, introduce our introducer who will introduce our speaker. Yeah, keep that straight. Say that four times. Um, first of all, if you didn't sign in or you didn't have to write your name at the bottom of one of these, or at least three or four people here this morning who had to put their name at the bottom, please do sign in. I promise I will get your names added to this roster. And, um, you know, it's important that we track this so that they know uh, who showed up where. They they ask me these questions in these other meetings that I go to. And I like being able to say, yes, Your Honor, I can tell you the truth. These, these guys were actually there. They provided the Google. I'm sure it's provided to somebody for something. Um, so uh, it's remarkable all that can go on in a month. I feel like the last time we were together, I was introducing Phil Dotson, and I couldn't believe that that was only one month ago. So much has gone on in those in those, in those four weeks. Um, but this morning's uh, introducer is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I just forgot your first name. Lee, Lee Dobson. <laughs> it's amazing they let me get up here every time. Um, I should have needed, I need an introducer for the introducer. Um, Lee Dotson, who's from the original Dobson family, as I've learned out, the family that was here before the Malone Dobson family. And so um, uh, Lee tells me his family has been involved here since 1970. I don't really remember 1970. I was uh, born, but I don't really remember it. And so I'm going to ask Lee to come up and do a better job of introducing our speaker than I've done introducing him. So if you'll come on up this way. Um, we will have a, a men's breakfast. Uh, it will be the first Thursday in December. I don't think there are any conflicts for that. It will be a crazy week. Of It will be the concert week where we'll be hoping to get as many people on campus in the Christmas spirit as we possibly can. And so uh, I have a speaker for that who is not from RUMC, but it's some uh, a young man who's gotten involved in my life, and I just felt like, hey, it would be a he would be a great speaker to come, and I think he will be inspiring for the group. Um, I am looking for speakers for part of the first part of the year, and there's some United Methodist men's activities that are going to take place next year that I'll start to circulate some information around. If um, uh, if you have some thoughts around that, something you'd like to see done for men. I am kind of collecting those those ideas up, so feel free to come corner me. And if you see me write something down on the sheet of paper, that's a good sign that I actually heard what you said. So, um, Lee, would you come here and introduce our speaker? Thanks. As he said, um, I'm, I'm Lee Dodson. I know a good many of you, and I'm sure a good many of you know my dad, Harold. Um, I'm introducing Chris Liner. Chris and I first met uh, during um, uh, 2007. He and I went together on... Peru mission trip. I got to know him a little bit there, he and his wife Susan. I mean, then a couple of years later, my wife started going down there with us. Really good friend. Consider Chris one of my best. Passionate and compassionate. He's a great kind. He has gone down to this Peru trip every year since he and his amazing Spanish. <laughs> Actually, that's that's really a great story. He wanted to learn Spanish. He enrolled in the uh, program at Kennesaw. If you're over a certain age, you can. Uh, come in and do audit classes in Spanish. He took it very seriously. He's really upped his game, which helps us a lot. So he has an amazing story to tell. Chris, come tell him, and I love you, man. So, buenos dias. Uh, so, 
So it's not an audit class. I think a lot of you probably know. It's an amazing benefit we have here in Georgia. If you're over 62, you can go to any Georgia university system school, okay? All you pay for are your books. It's not audit. You can go get a PhD. You can get a master's. You can just go have fun. So it's a, it's a tremendous benefit that we have. You do have to go on campus. You can't do online courses. So it, it was really cool. So. Little known fact, everybody I tell that to, they go, really? Uh, and it's not that hard to get in because they took me. Um, so um, a lot of you kind of know parts of this story. Uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'm going to share it with everyone. <clears throat> this is the first time I've recounted it um, in, in a single sequence. Um, and I'll tell you what I mean by that as, as we go through. But um, my, my wife would have had a, a, a script for this entire thing. I threw some, some high points down a page and figured if we took 20 minutes per point, I'd have you out of here by sometime tomorrow. So, um, uh, so l let, me, let me just open with a, with a prayer for me, please. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm going to tell this story, but it's really your story, not my story. And, and, and please give me the wisdom and the words to convey how, how you and your will wound through this adventure and continue to be in this adventure as, as we move forward. And I just ask that uh, you, you give me guidance. Um, so I need to give you a little, little bit of background. So I, we were talking, Bob Fletcher and I were, were, were chatting before we started and, and uh, you know, somebody said, well, what, what's your family longevity? And, and Bob said, well, you know, high 80s or early 90s or something, you know, so I figure I've got X years left. Uh, I've outlived both my parents and, and, and the age at which my grandparents <laughs> died. So. I, I don't have a tremendous amount of longevity. They both died in the early 60s, uh, their early 60s. Um, and so um, this has been an interesting adventure and a sobering adventure from, from a standpoint of reconciling, you know, what time do we have here on the planet and, uh, and that we're only given a day at a time. Um, I have to fast forward before I start the story, and, and the timing's interesting because we're, we're actually within a week of the anniversary of my diagnosis. So um, we're, we're, it was November 17th that I got the news um, last year. Uh, but I have to fast, fast reverse to 2005 when my younger brother, uh, Gary, uh, got a diagnosis of uh, non-differentiated neuroendocrine cancer in his liver. Four days later, had an ablation to make his non-affected part of his liver grow and Four weeks after that, had a huge hunk of his liver, a 27 centimeter, that's almost a football, uh, piece of his liver removed. Nobody gave him a nickel on survival. And uh, the great news is here we are 14 years later, and he's been cancer-free for 13 years. So um, we've already had one family member. So um, family history-wise, I told you, every, everybody died young, both my parents from cancer, but I always wrote it off to the fact that they were heavy smokers. <laughs> and uh, didn't do a whole lot lifestyle-wise. They grew up in southern Illinois next to a strip mine, and who knows what environmental factors affected their lives and so forth. But a year ago, I was uh, starting to feel a little odd. Uh, <clears throat> and in retrospect, the whole journey had started at least a year before that, in the fall of 2018-17. Um, we are on a trip at Tybee Island, and I'm going to share some of these symptoms in case you ever experience them. And, and I just got a... Uh, <clears throat> slightly, not nauseous feeling, but I, my stomach just didn't feel right. And uh, only lasted two or three hours. I skipped dinner. We drove back from Tybee Island and I felt fine. Nothing else happened for six months. Um, so who goes and, you know, spends money on a doctor visit for something like that. Uh, had my uh, annual physical, which I do religiously. And, uh, you know, all the blood tests were normal. 
it, it happened again the week I had the physical. Again, the doctor said, hey, probably just indigestion. Take some, take some, you know, Nexium, it'd be fine. Um, then we went to Peru, had another bout in Peru. I wrote it off the food. Uh, but then by September, uh, I had, I had they, they became more frequent and closer together. And by November, stubborn being that I am, I decided, hey, I, I probably had to go have this looked at. Something's going on. So I went in um, to my GI doctor, and he said, yeah, it's nothing. We'll, we'll run some tests. Test came back with a very high lipase level, which is an indication that your pancreas is not working that great. He said, you probably have pancreatitis. I'm going to send you for a CT scan. Three days later, I have a CT scan. They said, you got a mass on your pancreas and a spot in your liver. Um, you need to have a biopsy. So miracles started happening at this point. Uh, my GI guy said, I, my partner can do your biopsy tomorrow. So um, next morning, I'm <laughs> in the operating room, wake up and... Uh, and uh, after an endoscopy and an ultrasound and a needle aspiration. And he comes in after the, uh, after the physical procedure with no pathology back and, and basically said, you know, I don't have good news for you. This looks like pancreatic cancer. And uh, most of you probably are aware that it's not one. If you, have to, if you get a chance to pick your cancers, that's probably not one you'd pick. Survival rate's very low. Um, and uh, uh, it's not, not a, it wasn't a good day. It was a, it was a dark day. Um, However, my wife Susan and I decided, hey, we're, we're, we, we can't control this. We're going to put this in God's hands. Um, part of the amazing thing in this whole journey was that neither of us, or, or at least that she would admit, were ever, was ever overly nervous or agitated about it. Clearly, we were concerned, but there was a, there was a strange calm in our, in our lives. Three days later, I was sitting at work, and the phone rang, and it was, it was my doctor, and he said, hey, I've got good news and bad news. He said, uh, it's not PDA, uh, pancreatic ductile adenocarcinoma. It's uh, non-differentiated neuroendocrine cancer on your pancreas. Same diagnosis my brother had. Um, so that was good news. Good news. Um, the next miracle happened is I called the, uh, he said, uh, I recommend this oncologist. He's tremendously good at this type of cancer, and um, I recommend you go see him. So I call the office, and they say, yeah, we can work in in about four weeks. I said, you understand, I just got a diagnosis of <laughs> neuroendocrine cancer, right? Four weeks sounds like a long time. Um, and, and they said, well, that's the only time available. So I called him, told him that. Uh, 30 minutes later, the phone rang, said, can you be here tomorrow? I said, of course I can be there. So um, I can be there today. Um, so uh, I, I, once I know something, I don't fool around with medical, medical issues. So um, again, I, I choose to think God had a hand in that. Uh, because I called back to schedule the appointment, and the uh, the lady that the scheduler that had told me four weeks said, "I don't know who you know, but that's a good one." Um, so I so I got in to see uh, Doctor Jolly, Pradeep Jolly, very mild mannered Indian man. Um, and there have been a few other players in this uh, journey that I need to mention that have been huge support. My wife is one of them. Um, the other um, is uh, is uh, Kathy Newman, that's in my Sunday school class, Lycoda, and we've known. Kathy for probably 25 years. She was the head of a uh, oncology center and a, pra and a practice uh, as a nurse at Piedmont. And so she was sort of my confidant through all of this. I bounced things off of her as we went forward. And I can't say enough about how she helped me put things in perspective and to, um, to, to deal with facts I was getting. Um, what I didn't tell you is I've been a, I, I, ha <clears throat> I happened to end up in IT after deciding I didn't want to be an engineer at Georgia Tech. 
uh, much like Rusty decided he didn't want to be a career naval officer. And, uh, and um, <laughs> well, they helped me too. They helped me too, Rusty. So, um, <laughs> uh, not being a hugely motivated individual at the time, I, I did not pursue my primary passion, which was medicine, and, uh, and ended up in, I, in the fledgling field of IT, which has turned out to be okay. <laughs> but but I've stayed close to medicine with the Peru mission trips and, and my own reading and study and so forth. So that, that'll become a factor here in this journey in a second. So the uh, first thing Kathy said is you have to pick a doctor. Uh, and I'm sharing this because when Susan and I began this journey, we said, look, we don't know how this is going to end. There's, there's a very high probability it won't end well. Um, but we can, we can be true to who we are. We can share with others in the hope that someone can get something good out of this and can uh, maybe use it uh, for their benefit later. It, it, and, and we shared this story the whole way through um, via email. Uh, every time something significant happened, I know I, I started out with about four people on the list and uh, ended up with, with, through people saying, well, add me to the list, to, with about 600 uh, across, uh, across the church here. Uh, my, my running group, just a, a wide, diverse group from very staunch Christians to non-believers. So I, I wanted to share a faith story without being offensive um, in those emails, and I hope I walked the line at an appropriate level. Um, I also wanted to share enough medical information that people might be able to take away and apply it to their situation as they, they walk through this. Because I have to guess at the, at the age and stage of this audience that we all know somebody, be it ourselves, our spouse, or a family member that's gone through probably a fairly serious cancer diagnosis. So um, the other thing we learned is it's a very indiscriminate disease and uh, it crosses every demographic, uh, economic, social, cultural boundary, and you're all kind of the same. So um, the only thing we could control was how we dealt with it. So we chose to share and to take it one day at a time. I know that's cliched. But the Lord gave us the strength to just do one one day at a time. Um, so we got in to see Doctor Jolly, and Kathy had told me uh, you need you need to be a partner with your physician. Right? You need to be part of your your own advocacy and your own understanding and treatment. And so she said, "You're really in there to interview your oncologist." And and so we we had a great discussion. I kind of made it clear through through the how I answered questions and the way he asked questions that that I was aware of medical things and, and how, what my condition was, et cetera. And so turned out to be a great match. I did ask him, I said, look, if you were in my chair, who would you want to treat you? I said, who are your top five guys? And he quite frankly said, uh, well, number one's Peter Strasberg in Tampa. Number two is uh, uh, Dr. James Yao at MD Andrew. Number three is a guy that happens to be here at Windship, Basal uh, El Reyes. And uh, number four, I, I've drawn a blank on his name, but it's a doctor at LSU. And, uh, but he said, I, I feel confident that I see a lot of these and that, I, that we now have literature from all of these folks. I talk to them at least a couple times a year basis to see what's going on research-wise and what they're doing. Um, I said, well, would you be offended if I go talk to one of them? Second opinion. And um, he said, absolutely not. I'll set it up for you. You can talk to Dr. El Reyes right down the hill at St. Joe's. I was at Northside. Um, and, you know, four days later, we've got an we've got a, a appointment with him. The treatment plan he suggested was exactly what Dr. Jolly suggested. So I felt confident with that. I asked him the very same question, who would you have treat you? And the other four names on the list were all exactly the same. So I felt confident I was getting good information. And, and we had those guys as a, as a backup if we needed them. Um, so the course of treatment, 
uh, for this was uh, uh, almost identical to what my brother had done in 2005, so technology had not changed. It was a chemo cocktail of, of carboplatin, uh, a heavy metal-based poison, uh, and, uh, and a plant alkaloid called the toposide, which comes from a Pacific yew tree, the bark of the yew tree. And uh, they don't know why they work, <laughs> but they work uh, sometimes. Um, Dr. Jolly walked through the efficacy of, of how they work and what we should expect. And that typically, six treatments of chemo is about where the curve starts to change. They stop working so well. And if there's going to be a regrowth or a recurrence, that's where that happens. So uh, again, my diagnosis was stage four aggressive metastatic cancer. So Again, I was not on the point of the spectrum that you want to be on. It was not good. I had uh, I had a baseball-sized tumor in my liver, a big blob on about half of my pancreas, one mesenteric lymph node next to the pancreas that uh, appeared to be <clears throat> cancerous. So um, the plan was to shrink them as far as we could. Now, in my brother's case, he went 11 rounds uh, of chemo, and uh, his, his tumor still showed on the CAT scans. They do about every six weeks. And, uh, but... At the end, they never recurred, so they, they made the determination they were probably just calcified scar tissue and not active tumor, which turned out to be the case. Um, so, uh, by December 5th, I started my first rounds of chemo, and um, we started sharing via email how that was going. So, I think we've all heard chemo stories about, you know, how difficult it is and whatever, and again, I got a miracle for some reason. The chemo really didn't make me feel bad. I literally had a laptop on my lap doing work as I did my six-hour chemo sessions, and other people in the infusion center were throwing up into buckets. So one of the things we talked about doing was everywhere we went, could we shed some of the Lord's light on everybody we, we interfaced with? So, you know, you're able to unplug your IV and <clears throat> walk around to go to the bathroom or get a Coke. So we made loops of the infusion center and just talked to people. And... Um, you know, some people were asleep and didn't really want to talk, but we made some really good friends, and we, uh, we, I hope we gave some encouragement to others. Susan was a was a saint. She would take orders for lunch, go downstairs and bring people lunch if they didn't have a, a person with them. And uh, so that's kind of, you know, group we touched, number one. Um, and I had those treatments every three weeks for three days, um, followed by scans. So that was a repetitive process through... December 5th, January 1st, January 27th, you know, February, whatever. And uh, the good news was the tum tumors appeared to be shrinking uh, on the on the periodic scans. And so we were heading in the right direction. But Dr. Jolly kept saying, you know, we got to keep an eye on these because some point they're going to stop shrinking. So um, we had won a, <laughs> we'd gone to a fundraiser for most ministries to donate money. And, and we did donate money, but we won a trip to Belize <laughs> in the in the drawing. So uh, that had happened about a year, a year before, and, and it had a year expiration date on it. So we had planned to take uh, the, my son, his fiance, and, well, not fiance at the time, his girlfriend, and my daughter who lives in California to Belize, but I wasn't sure I should be going on international travel. So we asked Dr. Jolly, and he said, oh, yeah, you're not immunocompromised. He said, you, you can go. Uh, again, I, I had some really good treatment after every chemo. I got a little auto-injector on my arm at 24 hours after treatment, gave me an injection of New Lasta, which is a white blood cell booster. Keeps your immune system up. Just as a note, it's about $25,000 of pop retail. Uh, Medicare gets you to about $2,000. So uh, 
I've been, I was quite pleased with my Medicare coverage um, on that. And my brother had, had not gotten that on a, on a routine basis. He only got it when needed, and he suffered a lot more than I did. His blood counts got really low and had to stay out of, uh, out of contact with a lot of people. And I did not suffer that same kind of restriction. I continued to work through this entire thing. So, so that was good. So as I sent these emails out, you know, the, the list began to grow and people began to respond and ask questions and, and so forth. And uh, so we went to Belize and uh, my son proposed to his girlfriend, who's now his fiance. And uh, I did question whether I was going to make it to the wedding. The, uh, the wedding's scheduled for December 7th now, so I think I'm going to make it. Uh, uh, so um, this is the way I deal with things, okay? So I hope I don't make anybody uncomfortable. Um, it, um, uh, but anyway, the, the email started going out. And, and again, we shared for a reason. Uh, both It was cathartic for me to share the story. And again, we hope it would touch somebody. And one night I got a strange email that came in from somebody that I didn't recognize. And they said... Mr. Liner, we got, I got your email from a friend of a friend of a friend, and my husband has a very similar diagnosis. Would you be willing to call and talk to us? So I said, sure. And, um, you know, they were pretty, they were pretty down and, and bleak and didn't have a whole lot of hope. And I, I hope I gave them enough encouragement that, you know, they could, they could handle this, they could go through this. And, 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 and she's continued to communicate with me, and her, her husband is, Tolerating treatments, none of us know where it's going to end, but, uh, but uh, you know, again, the Lord blessed me with the ability to reach out to somebody and affect their lives. Um, along the same path, uh, some of the friends in my group, I didn't even realize that one of my friends in my ex-running running group uh, with, was dealing with colorectal cancer, and she was struggling, and so I got to talk to her every week. So my week kind of filled up with talking to and sharing with other, other folks going through treatment. Um, so fast forward to May, I'd had nine rounds of chemo at that point, I think. And uh, a couple of the tumors had slowly kind of slowed down the shrinkage rate. And let me, okay, let me back up to one of the first things Dr. Jolly did was, and this is fairly common, but he took my case in front of the integrated tumor board at Northside. So they have all the specialists come in like you see on TV at the big auditorium. They present your case and they get opinions from radiologists, surgeons, other oncologists on how would you treat this just to make sure they're doing the right thing, kind of a group consensus kind of thing, get, get ideas in case somebody knows of something new. And, and they ruled out surgery as an option because of the multi-geographic locations and the severity of what I had. So surgery wasn't really on the table. So come May, Dr. Jolly said, I'm going to resubmit your, um, your case to Dr. Abdallah, um, Dr. Eddie Abdallah is a, uh, you probably heard him on the radio if you listen to any, any of the major radio station that Atlanta Northside featured him in an ad um, uh, as, a, as an oncological surgeon. I did a little research. He was Surgeon of the Year in 2014 in oncology for the entire United States. Uh, he worked for 16 years at MD Anderson, specifically on uh, pancreatic and liver uh, oncology, oncological surgery. And it's one of the best there is. So, again, God working to put the right team together in the right place at the right time. So he said, I'm going to get you a consult with Dr. Abdallah. So, again, I shared in my email, and uh, I had one friend, I won't mention any names. He has a little bit of a bias, and he said, uh, I won't use the adjectives he used, but he said, that guy's not a Muslim, is he? And I said, well, 
first of all, I don't know, and secondly, I don't care. Um, and um, so we left it at that. And so we go in to see uh, Dr. Abdallah, and a very charismatic man, uh, probably my now favorite surgeon in the world, um, and uh, literally sat down and talked to us. He walked in, he said, you know, we met earlier last year. I said, no, we didn't. He said, yeah, I met you at the tumor board. He, he said, I saw, I saw your scans. He said, when I saw you again today, he said, I didn't even recognize you. He said, uh, you have had remarkable changes in, in your tumor structure. And he said, um, in December, I said surgery wasn't an option. He said, now I think it's imperative. Um, he said, you are my perfect surgical candidate. He said, we used to do surgery when it was a last resort. People's cancer was regrowing. Um, and, uh, you know, the outcomes were not good. He said, uh, you're amazingly healthy. By the way, I gained 12 pounds on chemo. <laughs> it was kind of a license to eat. <laughs> uh, so um, that was pretty amazing, too. Uh, so I had to take the feed bag off. Um, so, uh, uh, but he said, you know, you're, you're my perfect candidate. You're, you're aware, you know, you know medically, obviously, what's going on. And, and he said, you're kind of my perfect candidate. So that was a really good day. Because uh, I said to him, I said, so okay, what's the surgical risk? And I was prepared for him to say, because the suggestion was to remove at least half of my pancreas, spleen, gallbladder, uh, six by six triangle of liver, a bunch of lymph nodes, uh, so pretty pervasive surgery. Um, so I expected a number like, you know, I didn't know, somewhere from five to 20%, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he said, well, let me put it in context for you. He said, if we do nothing, you're, 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 Potential risk of dying from this is approaching 100%. He said, if we do the surgery, he said, the surgical risk is about three-tenths of 1%. And uh, so I felt like uh, felt like Kramer on Seinfeld when he got the Starbucks, uh, you know, award. I'll take it, you know. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so very quickly, we got the uh, surgery scheduled um, for July 1st. Um, but, but while we were still in the office, I said, so Dr. Abdallah, I said, uh, uh, tell me about the, because uh, I felt like we had a little bit of a rapport at that point. I said, because uh, again, for a surgeon, he, he talked to us for an hour. And when I, I don't know when you get an hour of a surgeon's time, just one on me sitting down. He, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. I said, so tell me about the derivation of your name. He said, you mean Eddie? <laughs> I said, no, I don't mean Eddie. <laughs> He said, uh, he said, uh, yeah, he said, my, my last name is clearly Arabic. He said, uh, it's uh, Abdallah. He said, literally translated, it means servant of God. And he said, uh, I'm a Lebanese Christian. So I said, okay, I can deal with that. Um, his, he said, K Abdallah, his middle name is Khalid, but he doesn't use it because of prejudicial reasons. Um, so anyway, um, I felt like I was in good hands. So we did surgery July 1st. Um, I now have a 14-inch incision from here to here. Uh, I was on the table for eight and a half hours um, and uh, woke up right after surgery. You know, again, crazy things continue to happen. Three of my work colleagues that travel four days a week happened to be there and were going home the next morning. So they were at the hospital as I woke up. So uh, they didn't stay very long because I wasn't much, much very talkative at the time. And um, another crazy thing, my brother came in with his two little bitty girls and Susan and I are both going, why did you bring those two little girls? to the hospital when I look so bad. Um, but again, Susan in the waiting room had been surrounded by Sunday school class members. Uh, Reverend Martha Feldman had come down and spent the whole day with. We, we, were, we were surrounded by church community and friends and family the whole way. Um, stayed in the hospital a week, 
got out. At that point, because of all the fluids they had pumped in me, I'd gained another 26 pounds. So that's a little over four, four gallons of water. Um, and uh, so over the next two or three weeks, I kind of lost that water weight. One of, one of the, as we waited, so, so Dr. Abdallah came out of surgery, Susan tells me, walked into the room and said, we won. So, sorry, I'm still a little emotional about this. Um, he, um, he said, I think we got everything. And, um, and one of the great things about having a skilled oncological surgeon is he said, uh, you know, he told me this later, he said your spleen was very close to your left adrenal gland. And he said, sometimes the cancer hops across that gap. And he said, so I, I took the top third of your adrenal cortex uh, just to be safe. He said, we sent it all to pathology. We'll know more before you get out of here on Thursday. So he comes in on Thursday morning. I've never seen a pathologist so stunned. He said, you had, the tumor in your liver was completely dead. The uh, lymph node had about 1% viable cells left in it, cancer cells. And none of the other 38 we removed have any. And the mass we took off of your pancreas, took half of my pancreas, um, he said, um, was, was just a dying lump. Um, he said the pathologist said he'd never seen anything like it. So he said, from where you started, you got an amazing, amazing response to the chemo. And that was after, remember, I think nine rounds or 10 rounds, Gary had had 11. So um, along the way, I'd shared my brother Gary's charts with Dr. Jolly. And, and at first he kind of poo-pooed my whole story. Well, his was different, his blah, blah. So I had shared it on maybe chemo round six. And he comes into the infusion room with the book. He goes, this is very impressive. That's about as excited as he gets. So um, fast forward. I went back after a week after surgery to see him. He had the path results by then. He said, when was the last time you heard a doctor say this? He goes, we should have done one. And um, he said, it's okay because, you know, got it all out. But he said, we might have knocked it out with one more. He said, we wouldn't have known. So we still would have had to, had to do the surgery to be sure. But So, um, so you know, I, I recovered really quickly. Uh, I, I went back to work for one day after week three and... Uh, Realized that was probably a little overly ambitious, so I lasted about two hours. Uh, my incision was still oozing a fair amount, and uh, I knew I knew I probably shouldn't have had to gone to work when one of my colleagues said, "Oh, you've already spilled coffee on yourself." I looked down. I said, mm, "I wish." So uh, <laughs> uh, Susan came and picked me up. And I headed I headed back home. But uh, but by the next week, I was uh, I worked a couple days. After that, things were good. I started walking and. Uh, in November 1st, 90 days after surgery, I went back in for my first post-op CT scan. And so I, I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't a very apprehensive time um, <coughs> because we hadn't we hadn't tested or looked at anything for 90 days. So we, when we got the results back from that, um, that you're still clean, no evidence. They use the term NED. Uh, there's actually t-shirts that say I'm NED. You wouldn't get it, it's a cancer thing. It's no evidence of disease. So, um, as of now, I'm still cancer-free, and they, the plan is to check again January 3rd, 90 days later, where we go from here. So the journey's not over. I don't know how this is going to turn out. You know, I have come to the conclusion that, uh, or, or the realization that uh, we only have the day we have. We tried very much to live in the moment. The first half of the journey in kind of self-defense, not to get ahead of ourselves and, and worry too much about stuff we couldn't control. Uh, after the surgery, I had to fight myself not to get too far ahead of myself on on presupposing what was going to happen or where things were going to go and uh it took a little bit of prayer and uh coaching from susan continue to live a day at a time you know people said well you worried about this diagnosis look i drive on the expressway every day i could get killed driving downtown you know we all take we all 
don't know how much time we have, so we kind of took it in. So to, to sum this up, uh, the amazing thing is not, so as I tried to formulate this talk, and I'd, I'd like to your feedback at some point on what to, to say and what not to say, I didn't want to get into a discussion about who gets miracles and who doesn't. I don't know why I had a favorable outcome and others didn't, and I don't know that that's important. I know that's not, um, I don't, we never went through. Why did God do this to us? You know, I believe things like this. We clearly tried to, for some good, went through this. Um, but the amazing thing, the, the thing I'd like to, we never felt like he left us alone. We were amazingly calm. Uh, I was on the phone probably two or three weeks after the diagnosis. Somebody said, how's Susan holding up? I was on the speaker and I looked at her and I said, I think she's okay. She said, well, I had one good cry on the patio, but I'm fine now. Um, so... Um, I don't, I don't know what to tell you other than, than God's an amazing partner, and, um, and, and I hope that uh, he has used me as a vehicle to share this story and to help somebody else. Um, I, I can't say enough about the medical care I got. My non-believer friends can write this off to a medical abnormality. I choose to think the finger of God was involved. Um, so, you know, it, at some level, I've, I almost have survivor's guilt uh, because I have close friends that are suffering that may not get the outcome that, that I that I did. Uh, I don't know what else to leave you with other than but I can't thank the church community enough. The the uh, Roger and Gail were amazing. I got a handwritten card about every two weeks that was was like getting a Christmas gift. Every the responses, the emails, those of you that got them were amazing. And the, just the support of a Christian was overwhelming. Thank you for that. And, the, the staff and the clergy at the church were so supportive. And so if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. That's, that's all I've got for you. Gentlemen, uh, it is uh, Movember. And uh, Chris approached me um, to say, could he speak at breakfast several months ago? It's clearly on his heart. And when I thought about Movember being the month that uh, we talk about especially that we uh, focus on um, men's cancer. I think that's where the M comes from, right? And I looked on their website, and they, they talk about both prostate cancer, and they talk about depression, and they talk about other men's issues. I encourage you to take them and go to Movember.org, I believe it is. There are people in your life who are always under the, uh, the threat of, I, was, I think I've got this right, disease, divorce, and disappointment. They all eat away at our relationships with the people around us and with our relationship with God. And what I was so impressed by here, I, I know a little bit about cars and I like cars, but if I really want to talk to somebody about cars, I go to call to Jim, who has forgotten more about cars than I will ever know. It's a passion in his life and he cares. And what I was so impressed this morning by Chris is how articulate he is about this medical stuff. And one thing that you will find is that the number one threat, uh, the most lethal thing going on around us is our men's sense of denial and the way we will not seek out, finding out, is this thing I'm worried about real? And I hope you will take Chris's journey this morning. And A, clearly he's forgotten more about cancer than I will hopefully ever know. And you will treat that as an opportunity for awareness in your own life. I'm sure there's somebody that you know who would... Uh, be enriched by knowing what's going on with Chris. I so appreciate the fact that we, we will always be walking this line between what we say as Christians in situations and what we just go through. Well, we've got better, we've got better science. We've got better resources. We've got better access. 
because sharing what's really what you think and what you feel is always going to get from an outcome. I, I I kept I was writing some notes here, and I I think part of what I'm taking away from this morning is the difference difference between being a passenger in a situation, being a participant, and using Chris's word, being a partner with God. Too often we come to church and we're just sort of passengers. We come and we hear a sermon and we're we're moved or at least not distracted for. 22 and a half minutes. And it's when we find God as a partner with whatever situations come our way that you see the depth of the gift that we have been given. And I hope you'll take the rest of Movember. And if you're, you know, going to continue to shave, I see most guys here look pretty like what they do what they normally do. Um, you know, go a day without shaving and have somebody ask you, why didn't you shave this morning? And use it as an excuse to talk about something that you heard from Chris this morning. You never know when you're going to open the door, a window, into somebody else's life. And that's just what they needed to hear that day. And the rest will take care of itself. You don't have to be prepared. I guarantee you uh, there are powers greater than us that will uh, will get you through that situation. So I want to thank Chris so much for coming this morning and sharing. Um, clearly, the things he didn't know a year ago that he knows now. And you got a son getting married next month? Congratulations. Guys, there are things that we do not know now that will be... We'll, we'll, or, we'll change our orbit for the next year. Um, that's the journey that we're on together. Um, look around the table at the men that are there with you and uh, know that, you know, there will be some things a year from now that will be like, I can't believe I didn't know that a year ago. Um, and I'm blessed to have a group of guys that you can go to and talk about stuff because there's real stuff going on every week, every week. Uh, Chris, would you come up and close us with prayer? Thank you. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, we... Um we just are so grateful that uh, you are with us, that you gave us your son, Jesus, to, to, to come offer us undeserved salvation and a Holy Spirit that lives, lives with us every day. We, we always have that whispering in our ear. Um, I ask that not allow us to become deaf to it because we are your instrument in bringing them to earth and being your witness and light. In the I thank you for the skills you give our, our, our medical community, advances have enabled us to make intellect, to understand and to improve things. And you've laid your hand on these uh, these friends, family, healthcare professionals, these servants to a, a community in need. Just uh, thank you for that. I ask you to be with us as we go through this week. Keep us entirely in your will. Have us do and say what you would have us do and say. We just ask all in common. Amen. 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 Amen.